Thank you so much, Pastor, and it's a joy and pleasure to be with you here today in the service and all day. God's been so good to us. We've been in Kenya, actually in January. It'll be 23 years. God's allowed us to raise our five children over there. They all actually will be leaving our... We dropped our last born at the Bible College last week, and so now... Our children are making their own way in life. Uh, God's been good to them. Some are in full-time service, but they're all full-time Christians. They all go to good churches. We're just thrilled to watch how God is using them. And uh, God's been so good to us in Kenya. Um, This evening, uh, Lord willing, we'll show a video that will give you a good uh, uh, idea of the ministry in Kenya. Uh, That video talks a little bit about the... uh, violence, election violence that we went through a number of years ago that really God uh, used uh, what seemed humanly like the worst possible thing that could have ever happened to us in our ministry over there to really to expand our ministry in ways that we never, ever imagined. And you'll see a little bit about that this evening. Not only are we working in the country of Kenya, and we have a number of churches started throughout Kenya. We have a Bible college of 100 students. English college. Most of our students are English. We have a Swahili division. We have a deaf division. And uh, we've trained uh, 40-some pastors at our pastoring churches in Kenya and someplace. We've been able to expand our ministry in the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. We've started a number of churches there. I spend a lot of time in Congo. We have a, a Bible college there. We've seen five churches started in the country of Burundi. I have a Bible college there. We are now getting started in the newest country of the world, South Sudan. And uh, we'll maybe uh, have the opportunity to share a little bit about that uh, this evening. And God also has allowed us, well, allowed us, I think is is a good way to say it, and burdened us um, to do something that, um, well, we know without a doubt that he's in it. Um, But... uh, to do new translation of the Swahili Bible. The Swahili Bible has a lot of problems. Um, We in our ministry in Kenya use mostly English. It's an English-speaking country. Most of our ministry in our main church, in our churches, our Bible college, we have a Christian school. Every class is taught in English. English is a national language. Most people speak English, so it allows us to do much in English. So we only use the English Bible, the King James Bible, in our ministry there. Swahili is spoken. It's also a national language, but because everybody speaks English, we use that. But as we've begun going into these other countries that do not speak English and they only use the Swahili, it has caused a lot of issues um, in teaching them, in training them. Um, quite honestly, what our Bible says isn't always what the Swahili Bible says. And uh, it's it, it just difficult. And um, it's caused... Um, issues and our people, our Swahili speaking people, our people in Kenya, God has really burdened them and brought it to fruition to where they have uh, come to me with that burden and desire to do a new translation of the Swahili Bible. This is something that has been pushed from inside the Swahili speaking world. It did not come from the outside and and so God is allowing us to be part of that. We're just getting started in that. Uh, we're getting the, the word out, asking people to pray. Uh, we have an independent Baptist uh, translation organization here in the U.S. that is partnering with us. And God's just been doing some wonderful things there. And please pray about that because um, uh, it's God's word. We want to do it right. And we know it's not going to be a quick process. But we just think about the fruit of the word of God going forth. Swahili is the largest spoken language in Africa. 150 million Swahili speakers. Um, it's the largest spoken African language. It's spoken uh, predominantly in a lot of countries, Kenya, Tanzania. It's spoken in Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi. It's spoken in, in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo, maybe 50 million speakers there. Uh, Mozambique, uh, it's parts of Malawi, parts of Zambia, the Comoros Islands, Zanzibar. It has begun to be taught. It's, it, they're teaching it now in schools in South Africa. 
It's the only African language that's one of the official languages of the African Union, which is the union of all African countries. So if there's any language in Africa that should have a pure copy of the Word of God, it's Swahili. And um, we're just excited about that, and, and God has just bringing so much together to see that possible. So that's something that we're getting started on now, and uh, uh, we, we would like you to pray for that specifically. Uh, Satan is going to fight that, and he already has. I know that, and he will. And he'll bring discouragement, and uh, sometimes he'll bring discouragement from people you wouldn't think he'd bring discouragement from. But uh, that's just the way Satan works. So, uh, like I said, uh, during the message this morning, I, I believe we'll talk a little bit about the ministry over there and the service this evening and uh, the video this evening. If you have any questions whatsoever, we'll be out at our table in the back. Genesis chapter number 45. Genesis chapter number 45 this morning. And we're going to begin reading um, in verse number 9. Uh, we'll read down through verse number 28. I'd ask if you'd stand, please, for the reading of the scripture. And uh, after we finish reading, I'll pray, and then you may be seated. Genesis chapter 45, beginning in verse number 9. Haste ye, and go up to my father, and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. Thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and... Thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, and thy children's children, and thy flocks, and thy herds, and all that thou hast. There will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household, and all that thou hast, come to poverty. And behold, your eyes see, the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that it is my mouth that speaketh unto you. And ye shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, and of all that ye have seen, and ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. He fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them, and after that his brethren talked with him. The fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come, and it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye, lay your beasts, and go and get you unto the land of Canaan. And take your father and your households and come unto me, and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt, and ye shall eat the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded, this do ye. Take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Also regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. The children of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh, and gave them provision for the way. To all of them he gave each man changes of raiment. But to Benjamin he gave three hundred pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. To his father he sent after this manner ten asses laden with the good things of Egypt, and ten she-asses laden with the corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. So he sent his brethren away, and they departed, and he said unto them, See, that you fall not out by the way. They went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive. And he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, and he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Let us pray. Father, we... Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for all these who have come out to hear your word preached. Lord, I pray that we would all leave this service this morning with our hearts full. Lord, with a desire to serve you. Truly, may we leave this place today better servants for you than when we came. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And Joseph is one of the amazing characters of the Bible. Uh, what an example the life of Joseph is to every one of us. A man of character. If there's any uh, person in the Bible that, that, that you see great character from, it's this man, Joseph. But one story out of the life of Joseph uh, thrills me when I read it is this story right here. When Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. 
We didn't read the beginning of chapter 45, but in verse number 3, we find where Joseph has told the Egyptians to leave, told his servants to leave. He closed the door, he locked the door, and he turned to his brothers, and he said to his brothers, I am Joseph. <laughs> I mean, to, to have seen the expression on his brothers' faces when they realized <laughs> that this man... <laughs> Second in command, the governor of all Egypt was their brother, the one that they had sold into slavery, the one that they had abused and the one that they had mocked and ridiculed and, 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 and had so mistreated. This one before them now was that brother, Joseph. I'm telling you, when they realized that and they understood who he was, everything changed for them. Life for them was never going to be the same. Imagine that. They were about to have blessings that they did not deserve. You know, it kind of reminds me of when I met Jesus Christ. (laughs) Everything changed for me. (laughs) I mean, my life was never going to be the same. If you've met Jesus Christ, you understand that too. Here in the introduction of the message, let us consider uh, what changed for Joseph's brothers when they realized who he was, when they accepted him truly as his brothers. I, I, I think we can say uh, this morning that uh, uh, their position in life changed. See, before Joseph revealed himself, they were subject to slavery and death. Joseph has judged had already sentenced Benjamin and Judah after offering himself in exchange. But as soon as Joseph told them who he was and began speaking to them in their own language, they were transformed from death to a wonderful life. Do you remember when that happened to you? Do you remember that day that you met Jesus Christ and everything changed? For me... That happened when I was an 11-year-old boy. November 12th, 1976, a Friday evening. I was sitting in a revival meeting of the Cleveland Baptist Church. An evangelist was preaching by the name of Al Lacey. He preached that evening. And when he gave the title of his message, the title of his message enthralled me. You see, because you understand, I had grown up in church from my earliest memory. My parents had me at church Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday, every revival, every missions conference. I mean, I was always there. I went to the Christian school. We had Bible class every day. We had chapel every day. And I knew all the stories of the Bible. I knew what the Bible had said. And I had even pretended to be saved. I mean, Pastor Shepard, it didn't take me long to figure out when I was a young boy that when somebody got saved, it made people happy. I wanted people to be happy with me. (laughs) So I told people I got saved. I didn't, but I told them I did to make them happy. And guess what? They were happy. As a matter of fact, they were so happy, they even baptized me. (laughs) But I was as lost as anybody. Inside, I knew. But nobody else knew. I knew the talk. I knew the words. I was pretending. And I didn't think anybody knew. But that evening, when that evangelist gave the message, the title of his message, he took it from the book of Acts Uh, the story of Simon the Sorcerer, and the title of his message was The Man Who Missed Heaven by 18 Inches. And I thought, what in the world? (laughs) I've never heard that in Bible class. When somebody died and they went all the way up to heaven, and 18 inches before heaven they fell back into hell, this is what's going through my mind. And so, of course, he was talking about the difference between the distance between the head and the heart. Having a head knowledge, but (laughs) never leaving your head. But he, he had me when he gave the title and He preached that evening, and I tell you what, as he preached, I couldn't figure out who told him about me. How did he know? I was sitting in the back of the auditorium over here, and every time he pointed his finger, it didn't matter which direction. It looked like it was pointing right at me. And I'm telling you, by the time that preaching service was over and the invitation was given, I was ready to get saved. I ran to my father, who thought I was saved, and told my father, I need to get saved. We walked down to the front of the, the, the auditorium and I knelt at that old-fashioned altar. And I want to tell you something that evening. When I got up off my knees, my position had completely changed. And it would never be the same. You remember when that happened to you? 
Because I tell you what, if you've been saved, you'll never forget. Not only did their position change, but we could say their privileges changed. See, before Joseph revealed himself, they were strangers. They were not even part of Pharaoh's kingdom. But after the announcement of who Joseph was and their acceptance of him, they became the favored group of all Egypt. Oh, didn't our privileges change when we met Jesus Christ? We were adopted. Adopted in the family of God. Joint heirs with the Son of God. Oh, yes, our privileges have changed. Not only did their position change and their privileges change, but we can say their prospects changed. See, before Joseph revealed himself, their survival was in doubt. Not just because of the judgment of Joseph, but because of the famine that was going on in the world at that time. Understand, I think this is the greatest famine the world had ever known. And, and, and God prepared Egypt and the world through Joseph. But it was an act of desperation that, even, uh, that, that, that Jacob even allowed those brothers to take Joseph or to take Benjamin into Egypt. Jo- uh, Jacob had no intention of doing that, but he was a desperate man. Because of that famine. But now, not only were they they going to make it, but they were going to live like kings. And none of this was due to their own behavior. It was all because of the grace and mercy of Joseph. His suffering had allowed for their blessings. And as we remember this story this morning, realize that This morning, you and I are in the place of those brothers. Joseph being a type of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And yes, when we met Jesus, our prospects in life completely changed. Well, now, Joseph's brothers have had a moment to digest a little bit of what was going on. They had now recognized this indeed was Joseph. We read that they wept together. They hugged on each other. They kissed on each other. They probably shared some news and they rejoiced and they feasted. And, 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 and it, they're beginning to comprehend the reality of what this means now that Joseph, their brother, is governor, second in, in control of all Egypt. And Joseph gathers his brothers around. He says, brothers, listen to me. He said, yes, life is going to be different for you now. There's a lot of blessings that you're going to have and, 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 and you're going to enjoy all that the land of Egypt has to offer you. But brothers, before you enjoy those things, brothers, before you partake in these blessings, before you get settled here, brothers, there's something I need you to do first. Brothers, I have a job for you. I have a responsibility for you. Brothers, I'm commissioning you to do something on my behalf. Brothers, back in Canaan land, father still lives. Back in Canaan land, the family's still there. And brothers, there's a famine there. And brothers, they don't know that Joseph is alive. Brothers, they don't know that there's some blessings here waiting for them. They don't know, brothers, that here life will be different. They don't know the changes that are about to happen or could happen to them. Brothers, I need you to do something for me. I need you to go back to Father. And I need you to tell Father that Joseph lives. Well, church, I kind of think that's what Jesus Christ said to us. I kind of think he said to us, listen, listen, you know me now. I'm your savior. I've forgiven you. I'm offering you the greatest blessing, salvation, a home in heaven, my joint heir, and it's all yours. But Before you enjoy these blessings, before you come home, I have something you need to do first. You understand, church, when we got saved, God could have taken us immediately to heaven. He could have. 
I mean, in a moment of salvation, he could have taken us out of this world and allowed us to enjoy life in heaven with him. He could have done that, but he did not. He left us in this world for a purpose. He left us in this world for a reason. And he gave very clearly in the words of scripture on many times the reason he left us behind. Because there is a world out there that does not understand that Jesus lives. They do not understand the blessings that come from knowing him. And he has said to the church, while you're in this world, I need you to do something for me. Before you come home, I need you to go out into the highways and byways and hedges of the world and let the world know that Jesus lives. So Joseph gives this commission to his brothers. And I want to briefly this morning look at this commission that Joseph has given to his brothers. And compare that to the commission that Jesus Christ has given to us. And see the parallels. In verse number 9, chapter 45, we read where Joseph says, Haste ye and go up to my father. And that word haste and, and similar words are used several times throughout this story. But Joseph is saying to his brothers, brothers, this job that I have for you, this commission that I'm giving you, this responsibility that I'm giving to you, you need to make haste. You need to do it quickly. You, you can't wait. You can't delay. Brothers, there's a famine going on. And brothers, in a famine, terrible things happen. Maybe some of the family has already died. Maybe some have come to sicknesses that will be prevalent during a famine time. Brothers, you've been here for a while brothers you need to get back there quickly and let them know that Joseph lives and bring them here make haste there's not time to waste there's no time to lose Joseph says to his brothers we need to understand that same concept in the world that we live in and people die by the scores every day People are spiritually starving around us. And we must take the gospel to them with a sense of urgency in these days that we live in. There have been many, many things that have happened in my life that reminds me of the urgency that we have to get to the gospel to the world. But if you allow me to take a few moments and share with you one story that happened in Africa that vividly reminds me of this. I mentioned that God has allowed us to start some churches in the Democratic Republic of Congo. The first church we started there is in the town of Uvira. The church was about six months old. It was an exciting time because everybody in that church had newly been saved. There were not other gospel preaching churches that people maybe were transferring come from or coming from. I mean, these church, these people had just been saved and there was a newness and a freshness and an excitement of a newness of salvation. It's just a small building that we were meeting in. The building was full. There were visitors there. The singing was just amazing, singing praises to God. And I was preaching on a Sunday morning. I preached on the subject of hell. There was an old man sitting in the front on, on the bench, so just a wooden bench. I had not seen him before. He was a visitor. After I finished preaching, he came up to me, and he said to me, white man, he said, I... I have a question I'd like to ask you. Now, he's speaking to me in Swahili, and again, I mentioned that we use mostly English in Kenya, and so uh, while I'm in Congo, it really stretches my Swahili, and I, there was something lost in the translation. I didn't quite get the meaning of what he asked me. When he asked me his question, which was this, the question he asked was, where have you been all of my life? I thought he was asking me for my testimony. That's the way I heard it. So I began to share with him my testimony, how I came from Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm explaining all this. And like this man in the jungles of Congo knew anything about Cleveland, Ohio. He should have. All right. But he didn't. <laughs> and he stopped me after a few moments. And he's like, white man, he said, I, 
I'm not asking you where you come from, where you were born, where you lived. I'm asking you, where have you been? Again, I kind of misunderstood what he's saying. So we had come from Kenya and Kenyans had gone over there. And so I thought he was asking how that happened from Kenya over to there. And so I started explaining that to him. And again, he stops me. He says, you're just not understanding me. He said, I heard you preach this morning about a place called hell. He said, I heard something this morning I had never heard before. He said, and you stood there and you held a book in your hand and you said that God wrote that book. And in that book, you said God told about eternal destiny, heaven and hell and how everybody in this world is born into sin. And when they die, they are going to go to that place called hell unless they get what you said is saved. He said, now, when you preached that this morning, I I could tell. You believe what you're preaching. He said, so my question is, is if that is true, if there's really a place called hell that people die and go to because of their sins and they burn and they're in eternal punishment, in eternal flames, if that is really true, why have I never heard this before? Well, as this man is speaking, if I can be totally honest with you this morning, I was... Not comfortable with, I th- with what I thought he was accusing me of. And to me it sounded like this man is like, you know, telling me it's my fault. That he hasn't heard this before. So I start saying, listen old man, you understand something. This is not an easy place to come to. As a matter of fact, at this time, if you know anything about Congo and the wars and all that, they, they had what was called the Great African War. Six million people have died in that war. Um, the, the, more than any war since World War II. And the first battle of that war was fought in Uvira, the town that we were in. And there were still rebel soldiers camped in the mountains above that town. You could see their tents during the day and their fires at night. And uh, it wasn't just a place that people were going to visit. And so I'm like, old man, I said, you got to understand, this is an easy place to come to. I mean, maybe I ought to just be happy that we're here. I mean, look, there's still rebel soldiers up there. I mean, nobody else wants to come. That's my attitude towards him. And as I'm saying this to him, After a moment, he stopped me and he said, when those rebels first came, he said, they came to my house. And when they came to my house, they took my son, my only son. They threw my son down on the ground in front of my house and they put a gun to his head and they shot and killed him. Now, according to what you preached this morning, my son is in that place called hell. And he'll never get out. And I'll never see him. And he's in pain. And he's on fire. So I just need to know if this is true. Why have I never heard this before? As that man was speaking, I didn't know what to say to him. But he continued, he didn't stop. He said, last year, my wife died. He said, I miss her so much. She was a good woman. But according to what you preached this morning, she's in hell. I, 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 I don't know what to think. She's on fire right now. She's in pain. I can't do anything to help her. I'll never see her again. She was a good woman. If she would have heard, she, would have, she wouldn't have want to go there. So if this is true, if there's really a God who wrote a book that tells us how to go to heaven and have our sins forgiven and not go to that terrible place, if it's true, why have I never heard this before? I didn't know what to say to him. What excuse of human reasoning could you give to a man who has realized for the first time about a place called hell? Finally, I said to that man, I said, sir, I don't have an answer for you. I don't know why you haven't heard before. I don't know why somebody else didn't come first. All I can tell you Is that for you yourself? 
You've got to decide what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. And God, in a very vivid way, reminded me and taught me of the urgency that we have. Because you've got to understand, church, it's not just old men in the jungles of Africa like that, but people like that exist in your community also. They're going through life searching. Sometimes they don't even know what they're searching for. They just know that there's an emptiness and there's a void inside that they're trying to fill. And they've tried the things of the world. They've tried vices. They've tried religion. They've tried and tried and it's still there. And they need to meet Jesus. And we need to have a sense of urgency in the year 2020 to tell them about Jesus. Joseph said to his brothers, brothers, you now know who I am. And yes, brothers, it is true. Everything's changed for you now. There's blessings beyond imagination. Before you enjoy some of these things, brothers, you need to do something for me. And brothers, you need to do it quickly. Make haste. There's no time to delay. And secondly, in verse number 9, when Joseph said to his brothers to go back to the father and to make haste, he also said this word, these words to him. He said, say unto him, thus saith thy son, Joseph. He said, brothers, when you get back to father, you make sure father knows that what you're about to tell him are the very words of his beloved son, Joseph. Make sure father knows, brothers, that these are not your words. Brothers, this is not some scheme that you have. This is not some trick of yours to get father to come to Egypt. Brothers, you make sure that he totally understands these are Joseph's words. Brothers, what he's saying to his brothers is make sure you deliver this message I'm giving to you faithfully. And that's exactly what we need to do when we go to the world. We need to make sure the world knows that the message we're giving them is not our words. It's not the words of Robert Mickey. It's not the words of this church. It's not your personal words. These are the very words of Jesus Christ. These are the very words of God. These are his words. This is his plan. This is not my plan. And sometimes we're talking to people and we're, if we're not careful, we're apologizing for what we're saying. We don't do that because we're sharing the very words of God. And we need to make sure that's what we do. Listen, we all have our opinions about a lot of things, don't we? I mean, we certainly see that in the day that we're living in. I mean, we have our opinions about politics and our opinions about a mask or not a mask or this or that. And, you know, some of those things may be fun to discuss, but I tell you what, they have no eternal significance. And we need to make sure that the message that above all that we are giving to the world is the message of Jesus Christ and his words. Deliver that faithfully to the world. And Joseph says, brothers... Everything's changed for you. Life is going to be different. But first, do something for me. Brothers, do it quickly. And brothers, do it faithfully. Deliver the message exactly as it's given. Down in verse 12, 11, 12, 13, we won't read it again, but we then find Joseph telling his brothers, and brothers, after you share this message with Father, go ahead and share with Father What has happened to you after you met Joseph? Share with father what you've seen and what you've heard. Basically what Joseph is telling his brothers is, brothers, go ahead and share with father and the family your testimony. Of what happened to you now that you met Joseph. Then I'll tell you what. We live in a, we live in some strange days. I'm telling you, people are facing problems today that, just a generation ago, we never even imagined such a thing would exist. Some th- things that are going on in our world all over. I mean, to us, they're strange and nonsense. But to other people, they are, are real things. And sometimes people come to us about issues in life. And we might not have a really good answer for them. Because we are coming from a different background. But I'll tell you something we all have if we've met Jesus Christ. We all have a testimony. Every one of us. Listen, our sins may have been different, but we all had sin. 
Our issues in life may be different, but we all have had issues in life. Our family problems may be a little bit different, but we've all faced some kind of family problems. And we have a testimony that we can share with people. And we might have to say, listen, I've never experienced exactly what you're going through. And that's not my personal experience. But let me tell you about my experience. Let me tell you about what happened to me when I met Jesus Christ. Let me tell you how he changed my life. Let me tell you how he forgave me of my sins and he made me into a new creature. Let me tell you how he picked the pieces up of my life and put them back together and how he changed my family and made us whole again. Let me tell you about my testimony. We all have that if we've been saved. And we can share that with people. Joseph said to his brothers, he said, brothers, you're my brothers. You're my family. And all of my blessings are your blessings. Before you enjoy these blessings, would you do something for me? I'm commissioning you to do this. Go back to father. Go back to the family. Let them know that Joseph lives. And do it quickly, brothers. Don't wait. Don't delay. There's, there's an urgency. There's a famine. Deliver the message faithfully, brothers. Exactly as I give it. And share your testimony along the way. And then... In verse number 20, down through verse 23, verse 27, we find, well, let's just read verse 20. Also, regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. Joseph says to his brothers through, through the direction of Pharaoh, listen, brothers, don't worry about provision. Listen, brothers, I, I'm sending you to do something for me. This is my commission. So, brothers, I'm going, to pro- I'm going to provide everything that's needed for the journey. Brothers, you don't need to worry about the food. You don't need to worry about the wagons. You don't need to worry about, uh, uh, about transportation. Brothers, you don't need to worry about the food you need for the family and, and how you're going to get them all back here and all of that. Brothers, you don't need to worry about any of that stuff because, brothers, I'm going to take care of it because you are about my business. You're doing this for me. Regard not your stuff. Church, something I found out a long time ago. When we're about the Lord's business, he'll always provide. Always. Without a doubt. Now, I'll be honest with you. There's been times in my life that I've been about my own business. And maybe the provision wasn't there because it was my own thing. But when I've been about doing what God wanted, where he's directed Clearly in my life, never have I lacked the provision of God to get it done. God taught me this lesson. I I could tell you story after story after story, but allow me to share just one illustration. We are getting ready to go to Kenya for the first time to live. We had been there once before, myself and my wife, on what we call a survey trip back in 1996, just to see how life was going to be there. Of course, we knew life was going to be different in Africa, but you really don't know until you can see it for yourself. And on that trip in 1996, uh, one thing that was very clear to us that uh, life was going to be a lot harder to live over there than over here. Uh, Back in 1996 in Kenya, you really could not find a lot of the modern conveniences that really, if we didn't have in our life over here, we wouldn't know what to do. I saw, we saw that life was going to be particularly difficult and hard on my wife. They didn't have washing machines. They didn't have dryers. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have stoves, microwaves. All of those things that, listen, basically if we didn't have them, we know how difficult life would be. And on top of a new culture and a new language and everything in Africa, I mean, you put on top of that, I mean, life was really going to be hard, especially on my wife. And so I told my wife on that trip, I said, when we get back to the States, We're going to find all of those things that we can't get here. And we're going to take them with us. So that life would be a little bit easier for you. See, in Kenya, Africans lived on a dollar a day. They had no need of those things. And so they weren't sold there. And if there was any there at all, the quality of them were not something that was conducive. And so we came back to the States and... Uh, We started searching for those things. You could not just take any appliance from here. It wouldn't work. Our electricity in Kenya is 220. 
if you plug your refrigerator into our electricity, there'll be a big bang. <laughs> All right? Not the evolution big bang, but... <laughs> and it just won't work. And... Uh, the, again, so we had to do some search. This was the days before the Internet and all of that. And, and uh, so, we, so you had to do it the old-fashioned way. And we finally found a place in Chicago, Illinois, that made, serviced, and supplied appliances made, listen, made specifically for Africa and the rugged equatorial living of Africa. We went to their showroom my wife went through there, and she picked out the different things that was going to be needed, and we paid for them. We left them in their warehouse with the instructions that before we left, we would pick those things up and ship them to Africa. Now, not only did they sell appliances, but they also specialized in shipping all over the world, but again, specifically Africa. So not only did we buy those appliances, but we also bought a shipping container from them to ship all of those things we bought, plus our clothes and that, that would bring up at a different time. We're all ready to go now. Our deputation's over. It's the end of 1997. All we had left to do was have Christmas with the family, say goodbye to the family, goodbye to our home church, and drive our clothes up to that shipping container, and then we're going to get on the airplane and leave. It was a few days before Christmas, and... I was sitting in my parents' house in Cleveland, Ohio, and the phone rang. And uh, I answered. It was for me. And On the other end of that line was the general director of this shipping company slash appliance store that we had bought these things from. And he said to me, Mr. Mickey, he said, listen, um, and he's beginning the talking. He's just, he's just falling all over his words. And after a moment, he said, listen, uh, you know, there's just no easy way to say this. He said, but... Let me just say it. He said, unfortunately, we've gone bankrupt. He said, and because of the bankruptcy laws and how they are, because you've never actually taken possession of those things that you bought from us and they're still in our warehouse, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you don't have them anymore. Um, they're not yours. And that shipping container that you paid for to ship all of your stuff over, I'm sorry you lost that also. Uh, Merry Christmas. And he hung up the phone. I sat there in the kitchen of my parents' house, digesting that phone call. My first thought was, this is a nightmare. Well, it was a nightmare, but it wasn't the kind that I wished it was. And the reality of that conversation, as it dawned on me, and I realized that Listen to me, humanly speaking, we had just about lost all of our belongings. And in a week or two weeks' time, we were going to get on an airplane, and we are going to fly to the other side of the world to live. And as I thought about that, to my shame, I began to have a bad attitude with God. I, in my heart... I began to say some things or think some things that just wasn't proper. In so many words, I was saying this to God. God, is this how you're going to treat me? God, you know I'm about to leave my home. I'm about to take my family to Africa. I'm about to sacrifice everything and this is how you're going to take care of me. God, you know, I traveled this country church to church and I told churches that you called us and you were going to provide God, is this how you're going to provide for us? Is this, this is how you're going to take care of us? God, I promised my wife these things. Now I'm not going to be able to keep my promise. And for a while I vented. And God just let me do it, as he does. And after a few moments, the Holy Spirit began to talk. No, not, that, not an audible voice, but... But through the word of God that I've read all my life, the stories of the word of God that I knew, the illustrations I've heard, the preaching that I heard, everything that I knew, God began to speak. And God began to say, young man, just wait a second. You think I didn't know this was going to happen? You really think this took me by surprise? You think that this major event to you is something that, I can't handle. 
He said, let me tell you something, son. There's a lot of things you need to learn. And you need to start learning them right now. And one thing you need to learn is you need to learn you can depend on me. And that you need to learn that I'm going to provide for you. And you need to learn that when things look hopeless, I still have it in control. Because, young man, if you don't learn this now, there's some things facing you when you get to Africa that when they happen, you're going to turn tail and you're going to run and you're not going to make it. So learn this lesson now. I'll provide. After God finished taking me to the woodshed, I said, okay, God, you're right. I, I don't understand. But there's one thing I know. I know that you called me. And I know I'm supposed to be doing this. And I'll, I'll accept it. I then had to call my wife into the room and have what up to that time was the most difficult conversation that I ever had with my wife. Imagine, men, you're, you're moving to the other side of the world with just some small children. And you have to tell your wife you're moving, but all of your earthly goods, you've lost them. You don't have them anymore. She took it better than I did. I don't mean that she is happy. She wasn't happy by any means, but listen to me. She followed me. She didn't say, oh, I'm not going to do this. We got on that plane and we went to Africa. We landed and, listen, we did not know what was going to happen. We did not know how those things would ever be replaced. We just knew that we were supposed to be there. We had contracted to go to language school when we first went to Kenya. It was going to be for six months, so we knew that we were going to be living at the language school. This container of our belongings was to meet us when we were finished language school. We had been language school just, just several weeks, and the phone rang, phone call for me at the language school. On the other end of the line was a man. He introduced himself. He said, listen, Brother Mickey, a missionary, and been here in Kenya for a number of years, and God has called our family to go back to the States. To, I'm going to pastor a, 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 my home church. And uh, so we're leaving, and we're getting rid of some things. And he said, we have some things that really nobody around us has use for them, but we thought maybe, maybe by chance, since you're new, you'd have use for them. He says, we've got a refrigerator and a washing machine, and we have a microwave, and we have a stove. He said, would you have any use of those things? <laughs> And God said, see, learn a lesson if I'm in it. You may not know and you may not understand, but I'm going to provide. And church, he has taught me that over and over and over and over again. Now, church, you understand something this morning. There may be a day that your pastor stands in front of you. says, church, God is leading us to do something. Church is something that God wants us to do, and, 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 and we need to do it. And sometimes you might sit there and think, well, how are we going to do that? Where's the money going to come for that? Or where's the people going to come from that? Or what's the matter with Understand. If God's in it, he will always provide. And it may not be ways that we expect. <laughs> and it may not be according to our timing. But he will. Joseph said to his brothers, brothers, you now know who I am. Life is different for you. It'll never be the same. A lot of blessings, brothers, just because you're my brothers. But first, you need to do something. Brothers, I have a job for you. I have a responsibility for you. I'm commissioning you to do something for me. It's important, brothers. You need to go tell Father that Joseph lives. Do it quickly. Do it faithfully. Deliver the message exactly as I give it. Share your testimony. Share what's happened in your life. And brothers, don't worry about provision to get the job done. Because brothers, you're doing it for me. I'm going to provide. But then, there's one last thing that he said to his brothers. We find it in verse number 24. So he sent his brethren away, and they departed, and he said unto them, See, that you fall not out by the way. He said, Brothers, as they're leaving, 
Brothers, let me just give you one more word of warning, one word of advice. Be careful, brothers. It's a long journey. Brothers, be careful. There are some potholes in the road. Brothers, there's some danger along the way. Brothers, there's a ditch on the left and there's a ditch on the right. Make sure you don't fall in the ditch. Brothers, be careful. Make sure you reach where you're supposed to go. I think it would be well for us to remember that warning. Uh, Pastor, I think in all the years of this church, if this is just like any other church that I'm aware of, probably a building twice this size could not hold the people who could be here. Except somewhere along the way, they fell out along the way. Maybe it's just because they got discouraged. And they allowed discouragement to get them off the path where God put them. Maybe it was a sin. And maybe it was a blessing. Sometimes our blessings get in our ways. But it's something come along the way and they just got off the path that God put them on and they fell out along the way. You know, all of us need to be careful of that. There's a destination that God's given to us. And if we're not careful, before we reach it, before we accomplish it, we'll fall out. I wish... That that temptation wouldn't come to me anymore, but it does. I'm human just like anybody else. Listen, there's been times in my life, I promise you, that discouragement has come or some circumstance has come. And, and the thought has come to me, you know what, I, I don't have to keep doing this. Why do I got to keep living in Africa? I mean, why do I got to keep doing this and, and, and having that hardship? And, and listen, especially now, all of my kids are in the States and I got grandkids. And man, God, I mean, hey, I can just come back and live in the United States. Sometimes that temptation comes. As it'll come to all of us. Well, if I can share with you, maybe it'll be a help to you what I do. When that thought comes to me, I remind myself of when God called me to do what I'm doing. For me, I told you when I got saved as an 11-year-old boy, God called me to the mission field almost one year later. I was 12 years old. As a matter of fact, it was Christmas Day, December 25th, 1977. Is the day God called me to be a missionary to Africa. I'll never forget that day. Now, as a 12-year-old boy, I was like most 12-year-old boys. I had not yet learned it's more blessed to give than receive. All right, at Christmas, all about was getting, all right, and, uh, and, and what I was going to get for Christmas. Now, this particular year at Christmas, I just remember that I had my heart set on a bike, a brand-new bike. Now, my family was going through a difficult time. At that year, my dad had lost his job where he was working. Eventually, he began working at the church, but he had not yet, that had not yet happened. And so life was a bit tough and tight. And, you know, as a 12-year-old boy, you just don't understand some of those things. And, you know, that, that just didn't dawn on me. And I, I just wanted this bike for Christmas. So leading up to Christmas, I laid all the necessary hints that that's what I wanted. Now, this was during the days of the Sears and Roebuck catalogs. All right. Some of you might remember those. I mean, them big, thick catalogs had a picture of every item they sold. And they had quite a section of bikes. So I would leave that catalog open to, in strategic places around the house <laughs> where I knew my mother and father would see it. You know, next to the refrigerator, on top of the washing machine, you know, place I just knew. So leading up to Christmas, I laid all these hints. So Christmas came and I just knew my parents knew I wanted a bike and that's what I was getting I was the oldest of five children, so I had to wait last to open up my gifts. Started with my youngest sister, and she opened up this box, and it was a new baby doll. Now, this is when baby dolls, you know, they began to do things besides just, you know, lay there. You could feed them and, you know, and, and, and burp them and all that kind of stuff. And so this was this new type baby doll. She was so happy and so excited. She's just a little girl. Man, I was happy. We were all happy and excited because she is happy and excited. And I thought, that's how it's going to be when I get my bike. (laughs) 
my brother, he got a new soccer ball, and I mean, he was happy, and I was happy because I like playing soccer. And I had two other sisters. I do not remember what they got because we did not get along very well. <laughs> but uh, now it's my turn, and I know I'm getting this bike. My parents handed me a small package. And I looked at that package, and I thought, there's no bike going to fit in that package. And I thought, now, wait a minute. My parents, you know, they're kind of tricky. They saw all of those pictures of bikes that I was laying around the house as hints. So they cut out one of those pictures, and they put it in this little box. That bike's waiting for me in the basement. So I ripped open that box, and <laughs> it was not a picture of a bike. It was a book. I thought a book. <laughs> this is a joke <laughs> for Christmas. I mean, listen, my parents knew I loved to read. I still love to read to this day. But understand something. We live right next, I mean, literally right next to the Cleveland Public Library. One of the greatest libraries in the world. I thought if I want to read a book, I can go to the library. I don't want a book for Christmas. I want a bike. <laughs> the name of that book was When You Need a Missionary Story. And I looked at the title and I thought, I mean, understand, I, I liked missions. It wasn't that I didn't like missions. I mean, we had a lot of missionaries come through our church. I talked to a lot of missionaries. I mean, I'd ate with them. They'd been in my home. I really liked missions. But I didn't want a book about missions for Christmas. I wanted a bike. I tried not to show my disappointment. But listen, I was just 12 years old. I'm sure it was written all over my face. It was our custom as a family that we would travel just across the border of Ohio and Pennsylvania to visit my grandparents at Christmas time. And so after opening our gifts, we were preparing to take that journey. And as we were getting in the car, my mother said to me, she said, son, why don't you take that book with you and read it while we travel? I mean, I couldn't tell her no. She's my mother. <laughs> but I didn't want to. But I did. I took it begrudgingly and I sat in the back seat, and somewhere along that journey, I opened that book, and I began to read. And I began to read stories of missionaries that God had called and used in generations long gone. And just little concise stories of how God used them in different parts of the world. And there was a section of stories about missionaries to Africa. And as sure as I'm standing here before you this morning, as I began to read that God began to work on my heart. And he began to stir. And the Holy Spirit began to squeeze. The more I read, I just knew that God wanted me to go to Africa as a missionary. So I sat up in the back seat and I said, Mom and Dad, someday when I grow up, I'm going to be a missionary to Africa. I'll be honest with you, through the years, even in my teenage years, there are times I thought about doing other things, but always when that happened, God would always just remind me, no, it's not, there's nothing wrong with those other things, but it's not what I have for you. Now fast forward now all of these years, and we've been in, we, we've been in Kenya almost 23 years, 25 years we've been missionaries. and Sometimes I feel like quitting, stopping, doing something else. When that happens, what I do, as I pick up that book and I read it again, I have it here today. This is that book that I received in 1977. And I just, literally, I just open it up and I read it again. And I don't believe it's a coincidence at all that the title of the first story in the book is entitled, A Little Boy Who Listened to God. The story of David Livingstone. And I read that book, and God reminds me, son, don't you dare fall out along the way. You say, Brother Mickey, that's a nice story, but what's that got to do with me? I understand something this morning. God's given us all a book. It's his word. And in reality, do you know what we need to do when discouragement comes? When temptation comes, when that desire comes to quit, just to stop doing what he has for us. Really, we just need to open the book again. And we need to read it again. 
And we need to get reminded again of what Jesus Christ did for us. Why don't you just open up to the story of the cross? Read again what he did for us. Go back to Isaiah and read in Isaiah where he prophesies of Jesus hanging on the cross and he takes his sin upon us and and the anger of God was such that it says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. For me, for you. Get reminded. Read and understand. It's just not worth falling out along the way. Reach the destination that God has for you in your life. Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. And from that moment on, his brothers were never going to be the same. Just like when we met Jesus Christ. He said, brothers, before you enjoy this blessing, before you reap all that's coming to you, do this for me first. Do it quickly. Do it faithfully. Share your testimony along the way. Don't worry about the provision because it's going to be there for you. Just be careful. Just be careful you reach the destination. And do what you're supposed to do. I think this story, this commission that Joseph gave to his brothers parallels greatly the commission that Jesus Christ gave to us. May we take this story and allow it to be that reminder in our life of what God has for us to do in this commission that he's given us.